You're listening to a podcast from Turner's Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. Many people have been quite disturbed by the visit of uh, Donald Trump to the UK, and uh, people have uh, questions over his uh, character, I think, as either side of the political divide, whether they have questions about his policies or not, people have questions about his character and the way he goes about things. Well, today in our passage, we're looking really at a, uh, a guy who was probably like the first century Palestinian version of Donald Trump. So if you think Donald Trump is bad, take a look at this guy. And really, what Mark is doing for us in this passage is he's giving us a portrait of a guy who is not very nice. Uh, Herod Antipas, his name is. He was the son of Herod the Great, the guy we know from Luke's birth narrative of Jesus. He was one of the puppet rulers under the Romans in uh, Judea at the time. And we have some question marks about his character based on actions like the things we've just read about. But also we have hints from history as well. He was originally going to inherit the whole of the rule of Herod the Great. But on his deathbed, his father rewrote his will and made Herod Antipas uh, a tetrarch. That is a ruler over the quarter of the kingdom. His quarter included Galilee. But for some reason, his dad didn't trust him with the whole thing. Um, early in his reign, Herod Antipas married the daughter of King Aretas IV of Nabatea. You don't need to remember that, really. But uh, on a visit to Rome to visit his brother, who was also called Herod, Herod Philip, he fell in love with Philip's wife, um, Herodias. And he decided to divorce his wife and marry, marry um, his brother's wife, Herodias. So she got a divorce, they got married. Um, his his first wife found out what's happening, fled to her father. He wasn't very happy at all, and it was the cause of all sorts of problems in the future. So we have this impression just from history of this kind of guy. He's immoral. He's a puppet ruler. Not like Donald Trump, of course. He's definitely not working for Putin. Um, he's um, a scandal all around him. He's protected by his privilege. He can get away with things that normal people can't. And in this passage, Mark is, is giving us a portrait, really. There are hints here that it's not just recording of history, but he's trying to get across to us that this guy's a bad guy. There are some hints here to Old Testament um, things that happen in the Old Testament. There's a hint here about King Ahab, who's one of the most wicked kings recorded in the Old Testament, who was basically kind of, although he was the king of Israel, was kind of ruled by his wife, Jezebel, which is where we get that kind of nickname as a kind of uh, slur word, really, Jezebel. Um, 1 Kings 1, 21 says this, there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. We've got something like that happening here, haven't we? With he, he wants to do something uh, to keep his wife Herodias happy. There's a kind of ironic reference in the Old Testament. That, um, Queen Esther is so pleasing to the king um, that he grants her a favour and says, well, I'll grant you up to half my kingdom, whatever you ask, because uh, she's so beautiful, so virtuous. He gives her, and through that means, um, the Jewish people are saved during the exile in Babylon. But of course here, um, Herod makes the same boast. I'll give you anything. I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And it leads to the execution of uh, the last prophet before the Messiah. So this is kind of ironic reference as well. And then there are various things that Herod does in this passage that the Bible describes as the actions of a foolish man. So first of all, he's fearful. There's a kind of superstitious fear. This is John the Baptist. Come, you know, he's saying that when he hears about Jesus' miracles and what Jesus is doing. He's got this fear in the back of mind. This is, um, this is John the Baptist come back from the dead. I beheaded him, but he's come back to, to haunt me. That's the, 
the implication, I mean, he doesn't sound like a terribly sensible guy, does he? He doesn't sound like a sensible guy, uh, if he's worried about that. Um, he's weak-willed. He does what other people uh, want. He acts unjustly. He does something that just isn't right. He's lustful. He's married his brother's wife um, on a whim, pretty much, caused to, to get a divorce. It seems like he's pleased with his, remember this, his stepdaughter's dancing. We, can't, we don't want to read too much in here, but there's a good chance he's, what it means when he's pleased with it is that he finds her very attractive and wants to reward her. He's probably drunk, he's at a party, and so on. So he's making this promise. He's a guy who's ruled by his lusts. He's imprudent. He makes this ridiculous promise in front of all these noble people. I'll give you anything you ask for, whatever you ask, half of my kingdom. And when she calls him out on it and asks, asks him for something that he wouldn't ever normally grant in any other circumstances, he's bound, he feels honor-bound to fulfill his request. These aren't the actions of a wise and sensible king. He's vain. He doesn't want to look bad in front of other people. He's extravagant. He's throwing a party for himself. And he's proud. He's too proud to, to uh, break this promise and say, actually, you know, that was a silly thing to do. I'm not going to kill a guy just because a teenage girl tells me to. Um, you know, I know, I know you guys are going to think I'm breaking my word, but let's just be sensible. He just, he can't bring himself to do that. So it's not a great portrait, is it? We're not going to send up a, a giant balloon of him in a nappy to take the mickey out of him, but it's not a great portrait of the guy Herod is like a uh, raft a wooden raft cast adrift on an ocean you can put up the second slide if you want Mal. Um, he's like a wooden uh, raft set adrift on an ocean and his life is controlled by invisible currents uh, that push him about in places he, he doesn't really want to go he's uh, pushed about by the, the, the currents underneath the surface and the winds blowing around him, the winds of his own desires and forces all around him, social forces and internal forces and uh, natural feelings, all sorts of things. He, uh, he's, he's just going wherever life takes him. And Mark is painting a picture for us, an ironic picture, not just recounting history, but he's saying to us, here is a king who is a slave. He's a slave to his own desires. He's a slave to forces around him. He's not in control. He, is, he, he can't do what he wants. Verse 20, he's, he, he loves John the Baptist, even though he's imprisoned him. He likes to hear him. He knows there's something true about him. He is greatly distressed at this um, young girl's request to behead John the Baptist. And yet, even though he's king, he can't say, he literally can't say no. He ends up doing what he doesn't want. His, uh, that's not the last tragedy. This Herod is the one who mocks Jesus and arrays him in a, a royal finery. So this wasn't the last stupid thing that Herod did. And his decision to divorce his first wife led to a war that lasted many, many years. It eventually led to his exile under the emperor Caligula. He lived out his days in ignominy, a long way from where he grew up, from his family and everyone else. Proverbs 19 says, It's not fitting for a fool to live in luxury. How much worse for a slave to rule over princes. This is a, a picture of that man. That picture of a raft at the mercy of uh, invisible forces outside of his control is a picture of all of us, actually, to a greater or lesser degree. All of us without Christ in our lives 
without God's redemptive power at work in us, we are all cast adrift on an ocean of forces that we don't really recognise. Internal forces, our desires and habits, uh, broken attitudes, all sorts of things. And external forces, social forces, peer pressure and so on. So the Bible makes it really clear. It says, um, Titus 3 says, At one time, Paul writing to Christians, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's a picture of that raft, isn't it? Um, Ephesians 2 says this, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. That's a picture of life without Christ. Now, it sounds incredibly pessimistic, but it is just a picture of everyone, to a greater or lesser degree, pushed about by these invisible things. We were created originally, according to scripture, we were created in God's image, free. In a world that, yes, was filled with powerful forces. With these things that master us now, were once under our control. That was God's original plan. We were freely able to choose to do what was right, to understand the world around us, and we had the strength to carry out our desires. That's the picture the Bible gives us of what we were meant to be like. Not as a raft cast adrift on an ocean, but as a sailing boat in the midst of the ocean. Yes, there are powerful currents underneath the surface. Yes, there are winds blowing. We were built with desires and social forces and uh, natural forces all around us that are strong. And yet God made us to be masters over them. So that even when the wind is blowing in our face, even when the current is pushing us off course, we are able to know the direction we're supposed to be going and we're supposed to be able to do it. That's how we were made. And yet because of the fall and because of sin in our lives, because we turn our back on God and don't live in relationship with him, it is like the mast has been broken and the rudder has been snapped off and we are just blown here, there and everywhere. And I think if we look inside our hearts, we we have a sense of that being true. When we look at our own lives, I just invite you now just to, if you've not done it for a while, just think about your own life for a second and think, am I a slave to Forces that I don't really recognise. Do I find myself doing things, saying things that I don't want to do? Do I find myself in places that I don't want to be? You look around at the world around us, you don't have to watch Donald Trump or Love Island to know that people are slaves to all sorts of different things. And are doing things they don't really want to do. You know, the main point, I think, of what God would say to us through his word this morning. It's it's really, really simple. Is Did you know that part of what God does for us in Christ, part of God's plan for us in saving us, part of what it means to be a Christian is to restore that freedom to us. To put the mast back up and fix the sail and give us a rudder again to put us in control of those forces so that we are able to understand the world around us that we're able to choose to do the right thing no matter what forces are pushing on us and we are able to carry them out did you know that? I feel that God would just simply remind us 
of those things. So from Titus and Ephesians again, same two places with those negative quotes, something positive. Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Ephesians 5 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the the Spirit. That last verse isn't just a general command about drinking or not drinking alcohol. But it's saying, don't be poor. It it, it literally means, don't pour yourself out. Um, Don't don't be filled with things that make you lose control, but pour yourself out in love to others. Don't waste your life not being in control, but waste your life on others willingly. That's the contrast it's trying to bring out. So God wants to restore that image in us. He wants to rebuild that boat. His word is saying to us, quite simply, I mean, there's lots of points we could bring out in this passage, but he's saying is, you're you're not born as a Christian. You're not saved to be anything like King Herod. You're born to be free. To use the the mind that God has given you to understand the world around you. To have wisdom. To master the forces that drive you. The the passions that are in your heart. The the, the things that that sometimes threaten to overwhelm you. Those giant waves that at the moment crash over you. You are born to surf them, you know. They're supposed to be creative forces in you. You're, You're born to be able to choose and to do what is right. Herod is an unvirtuous man but the church fathers called the opposite of that virtue and God saves us so that we can be virtuous did you know that? why is it important? Sometimes I think about the way we think about our salvation. And um, as I was thinking, preparing this sermon in the week, and a picture kind of popped into my mind, and just a, tr- a, a very simple parable, if you like. Two uh, men uh, thinking about retirement and thinking about inheritance for their children decide to invest in land, neighbouring each other, two parcels of land neighbouring each other, so that they can leave something to their children when they die. The first man decides, I'm going to work this land. I'm going to irrigate it. I'm going to plant, uh, make ditches. I'm going to make sure the water gets to it. I'm going to plant crops. I'm going to hire people to work it. And over the years, during the last 20 or 30 years of his life, the land uh, has uh, crops grow and it bears fruit. And uh, as people walk by, they can see that the land has been purchased for a reason. They see that it's fruitful and abundant and full of life. The other man thinks, all I need to do is just make sure that people know that this is mine. I don't need to work it. As long as, I can sell, as long as my children can sell it when I die, they'll make some money. And so he puts a barbed wire fence around it. And when the barbed wire fence collapses, he puts metal sheeting around it. And over time, the, the land gets infertile and it's covered in weeds. And over many, many years, it, the, the soil becomes rocky and useless. And sometimes I think that we think about our salvation really in terms of the, the second pass of land. 
we think if we're saved and we can just, you know, we become Christians, we're safe, we get to go to heaven. If we can just hold on to the life that God has given us, if we can keep it safe, then everything will be okay. The problem is, as we try to build up those barriers, um, inside our lives are going, uh, going wrong. But actually, the picture of this salvation that God wants to give us is more like the first parcel. He saves us, yes, so that we can enjoy eternal life with him. But that life starts now. It's a life that's full of goodness now. It's a life in which the, the treasures of heaven begin to bear fruit now. And it looks different to the world around us. It doesn't look overgrown and out of control. But it looks orderly and fruitful and attractive. When people see it, they know that it belongs to somebody. They know that there's a difference being made there. There's a connection between the life we live now and the eternal life God calls us to. What else is important? Virtue enables us to love. You know, um, we talk a lot in this church about that God calls us to love, to love God and to love our neighbour. And we talk about love being the centre of everything. But, you know, love without an outlet is like a, a reservoir of water that's dammed up. Um, Mark, do you want to put up that third picture? Just as a reminder. But it, a dam is often used to generate power. And um, when our lives are ordered according to God's word, when, they, it, when, they, when we understand the world around us, when we get to choose freely, when we get to do what God wants us to do, it's like hy- having a hydroelectric generator. That love is able to be channeled and finds a, a way through our lives. Love takes a concrete form. It means that we can not just feel like uh, God loves us. It, it, can, it, mean, it means that we can not just want to love the people around us and have good intentions, but it means that we can actually begin to love people in concrete ways as God fixes us and enables us to choose things well. It makes it possible for us to do good with ease and with self-mastery and to have deep joy as we live human lives. So Proverbs 19 says this, the one who gets wisdom loves life. The one who cherishes understanding will soon prosper. And part of our salvation is understanding that the true wealth that we can have as human beings is this virtue. It's to know that God can give us a, a life that looks different to the world around us, where we are free and not mastered um, by these forces inside us. True kingship, if you like, in contrast to Herod, isn't about status in the world's eyes. It's not about having a crown on your head. But it's about the image of God being restored in you. That's what true kingship is. And that's available to anyone of noble or low birth, of rich or poor backgrounds. No matter what situation you're in, God can give us a rich and full and noble life for his glory by restoring to us virtue. God fixing that raft and making it a boat again. It also guides and deepens our spiritual walk with God. As we realise what it, it's the type of life God wants us to lead, we can uh, we know the areas where we fall short. Have you ever done that? You you want to obey God in a certain way, and you try to do it, and you realise. 
God, I, I can't do that. You want to you be able to pray more. You want to be able to serve someone more. You want to be able to put more time into something. And so you, you make a good effort of it. And the first time you do it, it's just so impossibly hard. You want to stop doing something. You want to I don't know, stop eating so much or stop watching so much Netflix or something like that. And you try and then almost immediately you run up against uh, it's, it's forces that are kind of out of your, out of your control. The wind's blowing so hard you, you can't turn the boat around. And as we begin to try and live that life, we run up against those forces and we know that we can't do what we want to do. And actually that deepens our understanding of what it means to be a Christian because we cry out to God and say, God, I need your help in this particular area of my life. And as we cry out to him, he does bring healing and he does give understanding and he does make us free and he gives us strength. And that ongoing experience of being changed by God deepens our joy in the gospel. It's not just about something that happened a long time ago, but it's about an ongoing experience, something we're experiencing right now. So it's important for lots of reasons, but in a way that's all background. I just, I really feel like um, the main thing this morning is just to be reminded that this is actually a part of what it means to be a Christian. So, just a few applications. Firstly, I feel that God would just ask us, as I've already asked you already, do you recognise that God wants to make you upright and self-controlled? Matt, would you put up that last slide? Do you recognise that God wants to make you upright, noble? Do you recognise that he wants to crown you with virtue? That's a picture of Jesus crowning King Roger. I don't know who King Roger is, but it's a real person. (laughs) But if Jesus can crown King Roger, he can crown you too. Do you recognise that God wants to do that in you? He wants to give you a virtuous life. Did you know that? If you knew that, do you remember that? If you remember it... Is it, is it a work in your life? What does your life look like right now? Are you a raft or a sailing boat? What powerful forces are controlling you? Or threatened to controlling you? The Bible talks about lots of them. You know, if, if lust is something you struggle with, are you aware of what a dangerous road that will take you down if you give into it? Proverbs 7 says, one who commits adultery is like an ox going to the slaughter. It's like a deer stepping into the noose. Like a bird darting into a snare. Little knowing it will cost him his life. If anger threatens to control your life, are you aware of how much danger that puts you in? If you're allowing it to control you, do you know what the Bible says? A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. If you want to have war in your life, you want to have no peace around you, then give in to anger. It doesn't have to be sin as such. It could be the effects of sin. Does fear control your life? Does shame control your life? Does greed of one sort or another control your life? What are the invisible, what are the winds blowing on your boat? What are the the currents underneath the surface that are pulling you here, there and everywhere? What are they? And are you in control of them? Or are you just being pushed wherever they will take you? This I made it sound like a rhetorical question, but I actually want you to think about it. Here's good news. God can and will 
set you free and give you mastery over those things. Isn't that amazing? That thing that controls you or maybe threatens to control you right now, God can set you free from it and give you mastery over it. Again from Titus. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So do you know that God wants to set you free from these things and give you mastery over these things? Secondly, be careful about abdicating your freedom and expecting God to do the hard work. You know, God's plan for us is we're made in his image and he wants us to understand his will and to freely choose things so that we're like him. That's what God does, isn't it? He, he understands everything and he freely chooses to act and everything he chooses to do happens because he's God. Well, he made us in his image and so he wants us to be able to, within the limits of what it means to be human beings, he wants us to understand the world he's made and choose things and be free to do those things because when we do that, we give glory to him and we have joy in our lives. You know, that idea goes against some of our kind of ingrained ideas about what it means to have a relationship with God. Sometimes we just want God to tell us what to do. We want God to do things for us. We want life to be easy. We want to know that there's, a, there's his will and I'm following it. And when if I follow it, everything will just go smoothly. You know, it's true that there are situations where God will take over. Because there are things that, even when we're completely free, even when we're you know, exactly how God wants us to be, there are still things too big for us because he's God and we're not, right? And there are some things that we can't understand, some mysteries that we can't understand. We just have to say, God, you will have to tell me what to do in this situation because it doesn't matter how hard I think about it, how much wisdom you give me, I still don't know what the right thing is to do. But that doesn't mean we get to give up on the hard work of of trying to understand God's will and carrying it out. We don't get to give up on being children. So sometimes we're, we allow ourselves to be led by kind of simplistic thinking. We'll think about a big plan for life and we'll just ask God to give us a peace about it. And if we feel at peace, we'll say, that's what God wants us to do. But actually, he wants us to think, to have wisdom, to look at his word and see what that says about it. To, yes, submit our plans to him. He wants us to seek counsel, ask other people what they think. He wants us to, to, to choose things well. Or we'll say, I don't feel at peace about something. But sometimes we don't feel at peace about something because we ate too much the night before. You know? We'll wake up in the morning, we're like, today just feels weird. And we'll attribute that to some spiritual reality. God's guiding us here or under spiritual attack. Well, actually, it's just a case of these unseen currents pushing us. This wind blowing us in a certain direction. And God's just saying, it's just a normal day. You just need to carry on the same direction you were going yesterday. I think that's particularly too with anxiety and worry and fear. You know, we can be a bit 
a bit wet in our Christianity. We can, be a bit, we can have a victim mentality. We can use the Holy Spirit just to make us, the idea of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives to make us passive. And just imagine that he just dictates everything. We've just got to tune into what he says and he'll push us around. We can be a raft and he can just push us around. But God wants us to choose. He wants us to think. He wants us to weigh things up carefully. You know, especially when it comes to big decisions. You know, I remember a long time ago talking to someone who was, who'd got engaged and uh, the situation was such that basically it was the situation was such that it was something the scripture said wasn't allowed, which is pretty unusual. And there were bad precedents for this uh, person they were engaged to. Really bad news. And the practical situation was bad. It would have meant they had to move away from their family and everything they knew and everything that was familiar. And you know, everything, practically speaking, said, this is a really bad idea. And God's word said no. And I said to this person, I don't think you should marry that person. And they said, I feel at peace about it. That's just abdicating responsibility. God wants us to listen to his word. He wants us to think. He doesn't just want us to be driven by hidden forces. He wants us to understand and be wise, to be kings, not slaves. Okay, third application, which is really, really simple. Learn wisdom wherever you can find it. You know, what we're talking about really is virtue, is wisdom, is understanding and knowing what the right thing is to do and how to do it. You know, so Proverbs 15 says, plans lack, fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. That's what God expects us to do. He expects us to go to him for advice, to go to the Bible for advice, to look at how should I act in my life? How should my life be run? How should it be ruled? To learn from scriptures, to learn from other Christians, the ones we have fellowship Living with living and dead, to look at their example and to read what they've said. You know, and I'd especially say, I've quoted through this sermon from Proverbs a few times. I'd say if there's one book that you could kind of just spiritually you could just eat it and it would become part of you in terms of practical living, it's got to be the book of Proverbs. It's just so full of wisdom, of concrete. This is how to love. This is how you can give the best of yourself to God. I remember... Um, when I was uh, running a business and I used to have this kind of irrational fear there were lots of anxiety things anxiety inducing things of running a business I had this irrational fear of being inspected by the tax man some of you will empathise and uh, it just I just used to sometimes I'd lie awake at night thinking about it and you know everything was fine in the business like your books were fine and that sort of thing and um, and I remember I re- remember reading in Proverbs uh, this a proverb that became a favourite of mine 28, Proverbs 28 verse 1 the wicked man flees, though no one pursues. The righteous man is as bold as a lion. And that proverb became so real to me because I knew as long as I acted with integrity, I had nothing to ever fear. One day, uh, my worst fears came true and the tax man did ring up and the secretary arranged it and he came in. And I remember, and he did this inspection of our books and he looked at all my expenses and everything. And we used to, we used to buy website um, hosting off a company called GoDaddy which, uh, and he was not into IT at all. So he looked at my expenses and there's this receipt for like 60 pounds to GoDaddy. And he asked my secretary, what is GoDaddy? That sounds like a pole dancing club. 
is he claiming these as entertainment expenses? You know, it's, it was kind of like in my it, where I was originally, it was like my worst case scenario. You know, like the taxman thinks I'm spending company money on that sort of thing. And you know, I just had no worries, no fears. I had nothing to worry about because I'd gone about things the way God uh, had said, and this word had become part of me. Listen to a few more of these, just practical wisdom. Um, food gained by fraud tastes sweet, but you end up with a mouth full of gravel. Isn't that just great practical wisdom? Whoever's kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they've done. Slightly more humorously, a quarrelsome wife is like the constant dripping of a leaky roof. Hey, I'm, you know, but, this, but listen, I'm saying it to make you chuckle a little bit, but you know, it's actually good advice for a quarrelsome wife or a quarrelsome husband. Your home is a safe place. It's supposed to cultivate peace. And if you bicker at each other all the time, it's, gonna, it's like having a leaky roof. The foundations will become unstable. You'll be cold and damp and uncomfortable, you know, emotionally and spiritually. Fix it. It's really good advice. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Isn't that a powerful word? Isn't disciplining children just, it's hard, isn't it? It pulls you this way and that. You know, what to do, how far to go, you know, all those things. But just know if you intentionally discipline your children, you're doing a really, really important thing in their lives. How about this longer reading from Proverbs 8? I wisdom dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight, I have power. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles all who rule on earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honour, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. You know that passage is pointing us to Christ himself. He gave himself on the cross not simply to get us into heaven, but to make us whole, to set us free, to give us lives that point to his goodness. And it's an invitation to fellowship with him. Listen, this this is what Proverbs 8 also says. To you, O people, I call out. Now hear this, this is God's invitation to you. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favour from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Amen. Let's pray.